Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. A lot going on here in the second week of April. My partner, Paul Burmeister, and I uh, are going to dissect all the events in the NFL. And later on in the podcast, you're going to hear some snippets of my conversation with Mike Krzyzewski, the retired Duke basketball coach. We spoke about Bill Belichick uh, last week. Uh, Belichick entering uh, entering the week where he will turn 70. So I wrote a little bit about that in Football Morning in America this week. So Paul Burmeister and I will discuss the tragic death of Dwayne Haskins. Uh, we will discuss Belichick turning 70, how it is that I got Coach K to talk about it. We're going to talk about the few things I'm hearing about the draft the basically all over the map rankings and thoughts about the quarterbacks, when they'll be picked, how many are going to go high. And I also want to talk about why I think this is going to be a very active draft for trades. So we'll get into those that we'll hear from Mike Krzyzewski. Paul Burmeister, hello. How's life going? Life is pretty good, Peter. I am, I'm excited to see the, the range you're flexing with your interview guests to not only get Mike Krzyzewski, that's always a pretty good get, but <laughs> days after he hung it up and was like the media darling for everyone, yeah. and, and he spent time with you talking about an NFL coach. So I, well, I'm excited to, to talk to you, but also to listen to that a little bit. You know, let's, let's just start there. Uh, for those who uh, might have read Football Morning in America this week, you saw uh, Mike Krzyzewski talk about Bill Belichick. <clears throat> uh, he doesn't know Belichick well, but he's talked to him a few times. He's had him on his podcast slash radio show in North Carolina. Um, and I thought the most interesting thing he told me when we spoke last Thursday um, is that, you know, and I'll just read you this quote that I like. Watching him, it's incredibly interesting. When somebody says, hey, you've been doing this the same way, it's the same job. No, it's not the same job. I'm adapting and that's exciting. Like I'm 75. That happened with USA Basketball later in my life and I wanted to use what I learned. And that's what I see in Bill from afar. And he talked about the culture that Belichick uh, has built in New England And he said, and I quote, culture should not be assumed. It needs miracle grow every year. He's been able to keep that culture going. The interesting thing, Paul, was that when I said to him, hey, you built a pretty good culture yourself, you could hear it in his voice. It was almost like, I would call it a respectful scoffing. Uh, And he (laughs) said, hey, that's college sports. Pro football is different, big business. And, and he said, I know there can be a lot of selfishness. So it, 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 was, it was cool. But as to how this happened, uh, I'm thinking maybe five years ago, I got a call from, uh, from someone who said, hey, uh, I produced the Mike Krzyzewski podcast. Um, and Mike would like to have you on a, as a guest to talk about the NFL playoffs. And they said, oh, my gosh, I'd love to do it. 
So I did it and then I did it again one other time. And what was so interesting is that both times I got handwritten notes from Mike Krzyzewski like four days later, thanking me, uh, you know, saying, hey, I really respect all your knowledge about football. I'm a big football fan. And I, you know, the, I, I kept the notes. They're here somewhere in my office. I just don't know where. Uh, but uh, he's just really into pro football. So I thought I would have a real difficult time getting him. And, and it wasn't easy per se. But his SID uh, at Duke, John Jackson, um, you know, sort of carried my message uh, to Mike and uh, waited a few days. Wasn't positive I would get him. But my phone rang last Thursday and said, hey, Peter, it's Mike Krzyzewski. I hear you wanted to talk about Bill Belichick. What I think is really interesting, and this I started thinking about more after the fact, is how you could argue that in America, it, in it's there's a very small list, okay, of the great coaches of our lifetime, okay? But the top five absolutely unequivocally would have to include Bill Belichick and Mike Krzyzewski. So I was thinking, well, what do these guys have in common? The service academies. Belichick was raised in Annapolis. His dad coached at Navy. He worships Navy, loves the discipline, uh, you know, loves the order in sort of the military life. And obviously, Mike Krzyzewski went to Army, was a cadet, uh, speaks reverentially of his time at West Point. So that, to me, is kind of an interesting commonality, the organization and the fact that, look, I, I just think that when I think of those two guys, there's kind of different personalities. Belichick is kind of dour. Krzyzewski is, is kind of an open book kind of guy. At least that's my experience with him. But uh, it was interesting to catch up with him and to, and to uh, listen to him about Belichick. I think it's really fun when, when you hear someone who you know is one of the best of the all-time best in his or her profession kind of look across the universe a little bit and see somebody else who is also a super high achiever and, and, and talk about him or her and what they most admire. And I liked what, what, what Mike said to you about Bill in your article. And he said, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, Peter, but he pointed out that he really admired that Bill Belichick is a super curious person. It's not about yeah. what he knows now. It's about what he's going to learn later. I was hosting on the sideline at a Premier Lacrosse League game, I think about two or three years ago in Foxborough, and Bill was there. He loves lacrosse. So he was yeah. there, did an interview with him, and game starts. I kind of glance over my shoulder down near about the 10-yard line, and Bill's still there. Bill's on the sideline watching with two of the better players in the league who were really good high school football players. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Matt and Tom are getting some time with Bill. I glance down in the second quarter. They're still there talking. So I get with the PLL players after the game. I'm like, what were you guys keeping Bill so long for? Like, what, what were you asking? And they're like, we didn't ask him anything. He was asking us about how we defend certain packages uh, down near the goal and what we do up top wow. when there's three people there and we only have two. He was going to school on what they knew, different sport, but about defending and scheming. And I'm like, man, here's somebody with all these Super Bowl wins, best of all time, and it's May. And he's got two lacrosse players. He can't get enough about scheme and defense and how you think about being outnumbered and how you deal with that. Uh, to, that to that word curiosity, lifelong curiosity about getting better. I think anybody who's been around Bill has some kind of example like that. You know, Paul, this is the story. I, I stole it from Chris Sims. I give Chris credit uh, all the time. But, you know, Chris was on the Patriots coaching staff for a year. As, uh, as just kind of like what you call in college, uh, you know, grad assistant, you know, breaking down tape, servicing uh, the offensive coaches. And at the time, I think he thought he might really want to do that. But uh, he ended up working there for a year. And he told me a story about how on kind of the weekend of Mother's Day, uh, 
Belichick was in the office and they had a staff meeting, whatever, Friday or Saturday. And Belichick was just totally unaware that it was Mother's Day weekend. And once he found out, he said, oh, okay, you guys go ahead, you know, don't, you know, whatever, be with your wives, whatever. But Sims's point was so interesting. He goes, a day in May to Bill Belichick is as important for building his team as a day in October. And, and, and a game day has no more importance in his brain than uh, putting together the schedule for training camp or doing all the things you do to set up what you're doing, you know, long-term in, you know, in, in, in for, for your team. And he said, that is why, to me, nothing ever kind of gets Bill too frazzled during a game because he treats every day the same. Every day has sort of equal importance. And I found that really interesting because don't you go back to thinking about Belichick and you're thinking about the, the Seattle Super Bowl where you know really, and you know it so well that as the clock is winding down in the last minute and Bill is not calling a timeout, don't you just think to yourself, what in the world are you doing? And Belichick is just on the sidelines, just standing there as the clock goes down. Because remember the situation. If Seattle scores right there, scores a touchdown and goes ahead, and Belichick has let the clock run down, they're going to have like 20 seconds left, you know, for Brady maybe to make two desperation throws and, you know, and try to get, you know, the game either into overtime. I forget what the score was. But Belichick basically said, I, I'm not, I'm not nervous. I'm not, I know exactly what I'm doing. And what he was doing is he was putting all the pressure on Seattle and he was doing it in a very, very calm way so that everybody on his sidelines would also be calm. And that's kind of what I think of when I think of he treats every day the same because he knows that if he has made a decision, there's no sense getting all jittery, nervous, uh, getting you know your stomach tied in knots over it. This is the decision we made, and so let's move on. I don't know if there's someone who knows him better in the NFL in the last 15, 20 years than Josh McDaniels. And you had Josh quoted in your article this morning as well here as we as we speak on Monday afternoon. Josh saying that he loves every facet of the calendar. I mean, he's as yeah. excited in May, like you pointed out, as he is in November. And, you know, that little story there, just one more example of that. Yeah. Anyway, that's that story. Um, listen, we, you know, we're, I haven't really at any point in this podcast really dissected the draft. And I thought that we'd spend like the last two weeks right before the draft really going into here's what I'm hearing because Paul, I'm going to tell you for people who would say, Hey, what are you hearing about the draft? What's going on? I'll give you a great comment from uh, one general manager over the weekend and one agent over the weekend. Okay. The agent said to me, he said, listen, talk to me in two weeks because I never get started sort of reaching into people who I know well in the front office. Uh, I never get started until right before the draft, maybe like three or four days before the draft. Because what happens is so many of these teams um, are these days sworn to secrecy, uh, can't discuss anything about their plans with anybody from the outside. And the general managers, if you help them, give them information, they might parcel out a couple of things. But mostly, he said, nobody's going to really tell you very much right now, other than theoretical things. Hey, um, you know, how many quarterbacks are going to go in the first round or whatever. And, and I thought that was interesting. The general manager said, to me, he said, Peter, he said, I might have some exploratory discussions um, with some teams, 
Uh, and I want to get into a little bit of what I found out secondarily about the Eagles Saints trade, even though we did talk about that a bit last week. Um, but as he said to me, he goes, nobody's going to really show their hand until the last few days before the draft. And there's one other general manager who I know very well, who was telling me that like he really wants uh, a couple of extra threes and fours. He said, our board is very, very heavy, stacked with players who we like a lot in the third and fourth round. And he goes, so I'm looking around, I'm asking teams, I'm telling them, hey, uh, you know, we're interested in moving down, you know, in the first and second round. So if you are, you know, let's talk. And he said, I don't have any leads right now that I feel real confident about. So I, I wanted to preface everything we say about the draft and say that. But Paul, there's one thing about the Saints-Eagles trade that I found to be very interesting. So I talked to Mickey Loomis about this, the general manager of the Saints. And uh, he, he, was, he was very clear with this, that Howie Roseman, the GM of the Eagles, called him and said, you know, basically point blank, we are interested in trying to get a one next year and we'll use one of our ones this year in a package to get it. And, and what, what I think is interesting is, Paul, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in reading about this trade, so many people are saying that, um, that the, uh, the Saints got fleeced. You know, they gave up way too much and they really did give up a lot. You know, they basically gave up a one, a two and a three, um, you know, to get an extra one. And that's a lot. But the reason why I understand exactly why the Saints did it and why I don't have a problem with why the Saints did it and what they did is very, very simple. We don't know right now on their board, who they have ranked. And because the one thing that, uh, that Mickey Loomis told me, said, now we feel like we've got a very good chance of getting three of our top 20 or 25 players. And every one of those guys can play a role for us this year. So the Saints are close. You know, they... They're not handing the NFC South to Tampa at all. You know, they're close and they can play Tampa very, very well. So I actually think, and let's see what happens, but I actually think because the Saints are a very good drafting team, they have a defense that's built to win now. We'll see what happens and who they pick. And, and again, it's hard to make judgments on it right now, but... I don't hate this trade for New Orleans at all. Getting another first round pick in a year that they need help kind of all over their roster. They need a receiver. They need a tackle. They need help in the secondary. I, I don't hate this trade for them at all. I don't at all either. And I think in the abstract for any team sitting down where they are, you know, lower part of that first round teams, twenties, you also have to keep this in mind with this particular draft I'm one of these people that thinks that there will be more quarterbacks that go in the first round that a lot of people say, oh, maybe one or two. I, I can see three or four. And we all know this isn't a, a great class of quarterbacks. So there could be a team like the Saints. They might not have a quarterback in their top 25 in terms of best players overall. If three go, that just makes their picks in the first round all the better because their value gets all the more because players that weren't yeah. rated in their top 25, I think a lot of teams don't have these quarterbacks rated that high. They're going to go. So your chances of getting terrific value for what you need at that spot in the draft go up even more because these quarterbacks are going to be overdrafted. So let's get into that for a second. Um, in talking to people around the league, I got three very interesting opinions. Two people in the league, one from Chris Sims, who Chris has a very interesting way of doing the draft. People in the NFL really trust his opinion of quarterbacks because he's been right about so many of them, you know, in the last few drafts. So 
I think he has the ability to dip into some NFL front offices and coaching staffs to find out exactly what teams are thinking. So, you know, he, so he told me that, you know, he thought there'd only be maybe two quarterbacks picked in the first round. Greg Cosell, universally respected uh, tape head and draft analyst and, um, you know, from ESPN and NFL films, uh, he said, I think there will be five. He made a great point to me that uh, every year there seems to be two drafts. There's the draft uh, of, uh, you know, the regular draft, and then there's the quarterback draft because quarterbacks always get pushed up higher because of the desperation to actually find one. But here's the other thing. A team that I think is going to pick a quarterback in the first or second round told me, you know, and they've been studying, uh, you know, looking at what teams have visits with what players. And this is a team that will have multiple quarterbacks into their facility before the draft. And, and this, this official of this team told me, that I think there will be three picked in the top 20 and they will be Pickett, Willis, and Desmond Ritter. So Kenny Pickett, the quarterback from Pitt, famous for the small hands. Uh, Malik Willis, the quarterback from Liberty, uh, who most people think could really use a good NFL redshirt year. And then uh, Desmond Ritter, who's got tremendous experience uh, started most of four years at Cincinnati, um, has been very popular on the team visiting circuit because he's played a lot of pro-style concepts at Cincinnati and can really talk the language of NFL coaches. Paul, I want to give you just an open mic right now. You tell me of those three guys, who do you feel strongly about? positive or negative and give me a little bit of of analysis on okay so we're, we're talking Pickett, willis and ritter yeah those are the three guys okay i think you, you start with the safest guy who i'm not necessarily going to say is my favorite guy but kenny pickett starts in the 40s get a little bit better or a lot better every single season nice arm but not an awesome arm good kid smart kid that's probably because of the combination of everything. People see him as the safest one. So he goes somewhere in the first round, whether he should or shouldn't. I mean, that's a guarantee that Kenny Pickett goes somewhere in the first. I like Malik Willis better. Uh, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, uh, I like to make the distinction between strong arm and talented deep ball thrower. And if you go back and watch him, every kind of deep ball you can think of. Now, maybe it's not against great competition, but he's got the whole thing. Uh, he can throw it a long way accurately with nice touch. He can drive it in there. It's all there in terms of the downfield passing. And he also has a lot more to add to the run game than Kenny Pickett. So if I'm in the top 10, if I'm Carolina, and I think that that's a team that will do it at six, I like Willis more than I like Kenny Pickett. Desmond Ritter is the really interesting one because people are all, all over the board on him. Uh, Chris Sims, who you mentioned, I talked to Chris about the quarterbacks you know, at least once a week. Um, likes him, but doesn't love him. I saw Desmond play in person this year against Notre Dame. He made a couple of terrific throws when it mattered a whole lot. So I, I think he's someone who also could go once we get past 20, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if that combination of experience throwing the ball and what he can do in the running game, if he goes somewhere after 20. So I think all three of those guys go in the first round and I'll throw in one more, pick another quarterback, I think one more, probably Matt Corral, will also make it four to go in round one. Chris had a great comment to me about Corral, and I think this is really smart. He goes, and I, because it's, it's, it's clear, the Lions have the 32nd pick, the last pick of the first round, and then they have the 34th pick, uh, the second pick of the second round. And I didn't write about this, but I always think, that if you look at, and, and his point is the Lions should just take Corral, stash him on the roster 
make him, uh, you know, work with Jared Goff. Jared Goff will know, hey, there's somebody I've got to look over my shoulder at, you know, and and so, you know, and just in case, because they're not positive about Goff, and I think that's really smart. But this is one thing, Paul, that always sticks with me about the format of the NFL draft. And for everybody who uh, is kind of a draft, Nick, so the draft this year, round one, is on Thursday, April 28th. Rounds two and three are on Friday, April 29. And the first pick or two, maybe maybe even the third pick of round two, always have great value in the, say, 18 hours between the end of the first round and the start of the second round. Now, why is that? It's because there are so many teams that have their eye on trying maybe to get back up into late in the first round so that they can get their fifth year uh, out of a, uh, a first round pick. You know, for those who don't know, basically the, the, uh, the picks in the first round, uh, teams can use uh, five years on them. You know, their contract can run for five years and, uh, and they're basically tied to their team for five years. In the second round, that becomes four years. So a lot of people like to get 28, 29, 30 right in there, but not everybody can do that. You still really want the player, even if you only have him tied to you for four years. So the phone, I can tell you with, with, with Jacksonville, with Detroit, uh, I think Houston has the third pick, um, you know, of the second round, those teams will hear from a lot of people in say the two hours after round one ends, and then maybe starting at nine o'clock in the morning on Friday, there will be a lot of chatter with teams trying to move up. I only say that because that is where sometimes if you are a team like Detroit and let's say a team says, Hey, we'll give you our one next year for the 34th pick in the draft. And then you really have to start thinking about it. If you're Detroit and you're trading the 34th pick and you're trading to a team that you project is going to be a 500 team, you know, you say, wow, would we trade the 34th pick this year for the pick we project to be 16, 18, 14 next year when the draft is supposed to be a little bit better than it is this year? Those are the kind of decisions teams have to make as you sort of get late in the draft. Anyway, I just wanted to tell that story because you always hear on the during the day of the during the day of the second day, you always hear people talking about that and saying, yeah, we, we talked to a lot of teams this morning, couldn't make a deal, or we wanted, let's say Desmond Ritter, let's say Matt Corral. Anyway, um, I think that Corral, that's right about his area right then. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Masterforce Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Masterforce tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Oh, I want to ask you a little bit now about something that I really think is going to be interesting going into the draft. And that is, I called it in my column, trade mania. And what I mean by that is I mean that there are teams right now that when I look at picks seven through 22, I see general managers who are almost always aggressive. Now, I added Joe Shane to this. Joe Shane, the rookie GM of the Giants because I really believe he wants to turn one of those picks at five and seven into a one next year and something else this year. Um, then you got John Schneider of the Seahawks at nine, Nick Casario of Houston at 13, uh, Eric DaCosta of the Ravens at 14, Howie Roseman, who's got 50 and eight, 15 and 18 in Philadelphia. The Saints who now have 16 and 19, they love trading. Uh, the Chargers, Tom Telesco at 17, and then Brian Gutekunst at 22. And look, there's other general managers in there that if they want to trade, they're not going to be shy. But I look at this now and say, hey, 17 picks in the top 50 have already been traded. I will not be surprised if by the middle of the second round, between now and that Friday, we see at least 10 more trades involving those first 50 picks in the draft. And I think what's going to accelerate that even more, Peter, uh, people who really, really know the personnel of this draft will point out that the second round, the third round, that's really the sweet spot uh, yeah. of where this draft is. So not only is there this, this mindset, this aggressiveness, this open-minded feeling about draft picks, it, it's okay to trade your high draft picks. Teams are going to want to be in the second and third round. And teams also want to be on the other end of this trade, not so much for a player and not even just to be in the game of a, a better quarterback, a better quarterback draft next year. I think teams want to load up for the big player trades next year as well to, to have that extra first, to have that yeah. extra second, not just for quarterback, but to go after the skill position player that you really want, like we've seen in this offseason. The one other thing to think about, Paul, is that because so many teams have different boards this year and are thinking differently about this draft this year, uh, you know, and, and look, a lot of times players get rated uh, a lot different by, by different teams, but especially this year when there are so many players in say picks 50 through 130 who are really, really hot and popular. So I just think we've got a chance with so many people viewing this draft differently. We've just got a chance to see a lot of fun things happen. Um, so Paul, I wanted to, I wanted to close this part of the podcast talking a little bit about Dwayne Haskins. Um, everybody knows now that, uh, the, a former Ohio State quarterback, 24 years old, died very tragically on Saturday morning um, when he was struck by a vehicle on a highway uh, near Fort Lauderdale. And, and look, we'll find out a lot more about the details and, and all that, but I'll tell you what struck me in, and I don't know Dwayne Haskins, all right? I, I, don't, I don't know him. I've never, I never had a conversation with him. So um, I can't sit here and say, oh my God, what a great guy. Because I, I don't have any direct knowledge of that. But I really feel like he was a great guy. And, and the sadness of this is, I mean, just look at the tweet that uh, his Pittsburgh wide receiver teammate 
Chase Claypool sent out with just just bawling like a like a like a child because that's how much he he was uh, that's how friendly he was and how much he thought of uh, Dwayne Haskins and look there's been a lot said about you know criticisms for Gil Brandt and Adam Schefter for uh, bringing in you know other parts of uh, of of Haskins' life and and how he has not become a great player and and all that stuff, but I would just tell you this: of all the teams in the NFL, to pick up a player and to stick with that player now into a second year, the Pittsburgh Steelers don't do charity cases, and you know. The Pittsburgh Steelers believed sincerely that Dwayne Haskins had a chance after being drafted by Washington and then being cut in his second year by Washington. They thought that they were going to be the beneficiary of a second chance uh, to Dwayne Haskins. And people who had been around him in the last year and plus the people who had been working out with him uh, in Florida, uh, talked about, you know, how, how hard he was working and just what a happy free spirit he was. And that's the one thing that I just hope that people take with them about Dwayne Haskins, that he was a very good person. He's wonderful inside his family to his sister. He's very close to his sister. And um, I just I just hope that people can take a little bit of that in their heart and take that part of Dwayne Haskins uh, and, you know, and 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 make the world just a little bit of a better place. You bring up uh, so many thoughts that um, trigger other thoughts for me, Peter. Number one, what you said about the fact that you didn't know him. And I, I not only didn't know him either, Peter, I was never around him. And I, sometimes this um, this business can fool you into thinking you feel like you know somebody, even if you don't, just because you've been around them. Well, I never met him and was never around him. Uh, but I, I, I think a tragic moment like this uh, for guys who do what we do, it really forces you to, to think about this person, not this player, but this person in a way that we, we never really did. I mean, when I thought about Dwayne Haskins in the past, it was, okay, how high of a first-round pick should he be based off right. what he did at Ohio State? What's happening in Washington? What kind of competition can you give to Mitch Trubisky? Maybe he's a better quarterback than Mitch Trubisky. You think about all these things only in the sense of a football player and prospect and what he might do. And now you, this tragic event is right there for all of us. And all of a sudden you, you think of it, you think of this player as a person. And I can't help but just think of him as a dad or as a sibling. Like I, I think about it now, it's like, oh my gosh, this person who, all I've ever done is think about him as a quarterback is gone. That's somebody's son. That's somebody's sibling. Yeah. Uh, that's a number of people's best friend. It's a number of teammates who uh, fell in love with him. Now that person's gone for him. And it just shakes you. And there are certain things that come up and make you, that force you to think about them differently or uh, think about a person you never met uh, in a different way. And uh, it's unfortunate that it's tragic, but it does make you think of all these things uh, as a dad, as a friend, as a sibling. And uh, it's just, I don't, I don't have something to share that's insightful based off of personal experience, just that uh, it's made me think and feel a lot, uh, like a lot of people who've thought about Dwayne in other ways, uh, to really consider him more, much more as a, like I do with everything now, as a dad. As Ben Roethlisberger said on social media over the weekend, he was a young man that didn't ever seem to have a bad day. What a quality. I mean, think about that. Like, yeah. we're, we're around people like that, Peter, who are always positive and think about what it adds to your day. Yeah. Anyway, uh, rest in peace, Dwayne Haskins, and uh, really our, our best to uh, his wife and his family. And uh, may you all find some peace in, uh, in knowing, honestly, that he was such a beloved figure by his friends inside and outside football. 
Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. There's no place like the movie theater. The smell of fresh popcorn welcomes you to a full body experience while candies and sodas compete for your attention. Hoping to join you in the best seats you've reserved on Fandango. It's where movie lovers buy tickets, pick seats, and double up on rewards points all online. All that's left is to walk in, snack up, and sit back. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. Paul, um, that's going to do it for this portion of the podcast. We're going to get into uh, my conversation. I'm going to play you part of my conversation with Mike Krzyzewski, the retired Duke basketball coach, who is, as you will hear, a pretty big Bill Belichick fan also. Hey, Mike, you had a great line after the game the other day uh, in which you said, I've been blessed to be in the arena. And right. when you're in the arena, you're either going to come out feeling great or you're going to feel agony. But you always will feel great about being in the arena. Right. Which I thought was just, the perspective was just great. Instead of being destroyed, you had the realistic sense right there to know that, hey, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose and life goes on. Well, and the privilege and the honor... Not many people get to be in the arena. Yeah. Uh, and so you're always, you're always thankful for it. I've led a life in the arena. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and it's been a, it's been a big arena. Uh, <laughs> and so there are going to be big wins and there are going to be big losses. But, uh, uh, no, again, I, I, I truly believe that. And, uh, I truly believe that. So, Mike, I, I really appreciate you calling. I, I'm I'm doing what I wanted to do next week in my column is write about Belichick in a couple of ways. Number one, um, there's never been a coach as successful in his 60s as Belichick is, has been. Wins, right. losses, championships. And he once said, oh, there's no way I'm going to be Marv Levy. With all due respect to Marv, I love him, but I'm not going to be coaching in my 70s. I'll be doing something else. And Josh McDaniels just told me a couple of weeks ago that he said, I'm just telling you, Bill is going to coach for a while. <laughs> he really, he still really, really loves it. And so... I just wanted to ask you, just from your perspective, watching from afar, because I know you really like football, watching from afar, what have you thought of Belichick over these years? Well, I, I, one, I, I, I've always felt he was, uh, he, he had a, a curiosity about the game and wanted, he, it wasn't what he already knew, it was what he was still going to learn and how he was going to use what he knew in the ever changing environment that he, you know, that he's in, he's very adaptive. <clears throat> and, um, and my feeling is he's gotten older. <clears throat> he's probably learned to use the talents 
of the people around him even better. Yeah. And it seems to me, even in his hires, he's gone, you know, he's, even his most recent, the former Detroit Lion uh, head coach. Yeah, Matt Patricia. uh, Yeah, and how he's using him. Yeah. It's different than his past, right? And, yeah, I mean, he basically is, I mean, he hasn't said how he's going to do it, but he loses Josh McDaniels and he's basically giving his offense to Matt Patricia, who's a career defensive coach, and to uh, and to Joe Judge, who's kind of a career special teams coach. So, right, so he, that's he what I, it. yeah, that's what I, and um, again, I'm, I, I, I can't get into his head, but watching... It, it it's incredibly interesting. So someone has said, "Well, you're you've been doing this the same way over. You know, you're, it's the same job." No, it's not the same job. It, I'm not doing it the same way. Yeah. Um. Um. I'm adapting. Um. It's exciting, and for me, that that happened. Like I'm 75. That that happened. As you know, with USA basketball later in my life, and and then I learned a lot, and I wanted to show, I wanted to use what I learned, and uh, uh, I, 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 you know, I just see that. That's what I, I I see from afar. I mean, I I really admire him and like him, and uh, uh, because it's not really, it's not about him. It's about them, and. There's nobody who's built a big, better culture in pro sports, in pro sports wow. than him, you know, right? I mean... That's an amazing statement coming from you. You yeah. built a pretty good culture yourself. Yeah, but, and but it's a collegiate, and we did it with U.S., but you do it in the pros, you, you, you build that level, you know, that culture. And culture... Culture should not be assumed. It needs to, uh, it, it needs to, it needs to have miracle grow every year. You know, it needs to grow. And uh, and uh, uh, how he's been able to do that? Look, it's a big, big business, man. You know, there's a lot, lot going on. A lot of there can be a lot of selfishness at, at the, in, in that. And he's been able to, you know, he's been able to. Uh, manage all that and, and keep that culture going. I mean, like there, there's a Patriot way, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, uh, I, 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 I totally admire that. Um, what about just in terms of, was it once you got to be 68, 70, 71, was it harder to keep your focus at all, I mean, if if if, if I don't know, and I'm, I'm sure Bill is just not the kind of person who does this, but if Bill ever were to ask you about how did you keep your edge so well in your 70s, what would you say? I allowed m- more input. Of expression of teaching from my from my staff from the people around me, and I was able to see and feel their hunger, you know, their enthusiasm more. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, I I gave I allowed them more opportunity, but the person who got more was me <laughs> because I got more of them. I got. Uh, you know, they, in, uh, you know, I, I, you take more off your plate, but you, you then get to see new things from the people that are all, that you're already have been with, you know right. what I mean? Right. And, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and then their ownership of what you're doing is, is deepened you know, is deepened because, uh, you know, the best way to get ownership is to use someone's ideas and, or, or give them the ability to, you know, the responsibility, even like in talking to my team and how you, before a game, 
you know, how you set up a, a scout and, uh, you know, my guy, as I got older, I allowed more and more, more and more. And, uh, and it kept me, you know, it, it, I learned more and, uh, um, you know, <laughs> and I, I don't know, I just, it's a, di- a different music, you know, a little bit different music that, uh, that, that occurs. And, and, uh, so I, and then really the only, re- the reason I've retired is there's certain, I loved what I, I still love coaching, but the price of recruiting and a bunch of other things that you have to pay to do what I, I, I wasn't willing to do that anymore. You know, I, the, the time that you have to have to, uh, but the time of preparation of that, I've prepared harder this year than I have in my whole life for games, but I didn't, I, I only coached. Right. I, I only coached. Um, did, you know, the one thing when I thought I might be talking to you, the one thing that struck me is it has to be really, really different as, as a head coach in college basketball now is this one and done thing that probably, you know, when you're getting prepared to coach the 21, 22 season, you have to have endless thoughts about the 22-23 season because you can't count on anything from right. the guys on your team now. How big yeah. a factor was that in sort of changing the landscape no, big, for you? Big and 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 but see I've never I never thought about the 22-23 season this year. Mm-hmm. Because that's one of the reasons of making the decision when I did and having the succession plan of having John Shire yeah, be with me, and I told him, "You go and recruit with the guys. You put your team together for next year. Let me coach this team, and then when you're off the road, then you help me coach this team. Right? But you put your own team. So I, I never, uh, I, 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 again, I helped a little bit with the, but hardly. Yeah, you know, I, it, and that was so refreshing. Right. Uh, it was refreshing, but you can't continue to do that. Yeah. You know, you know that that's not that's so. We we've had a good plan and it's worked. Your four full seasons that you coached in your seventies, the four full seasons you went one hundred and two and thirty, and you got to the elite eight once. You got to the final four once. So you were still highly, highly competitive. I know this can be a bit of a cliche, but what, in your opinion, when you were coaching against people who are 30 years younger than you are, in some cases, maybe 40 years younger than you are, what is the key to being able to to stay competitive and to know that you... Uh, you know, you can still beat these guys. Yeah, well, I never had to beat them. I had to beat their teams. Right. So, you know, I was, I had 18 to 23-year-olds trying to beat their 20 to 24-year-olds. So, I, I, you know, look, I, I'm not saying I'm better, but I'm, I've never lost my edge in competition. And um, I didn't have to win a sprint against them. Yeah. I had to win a game, yeah. and uh, and so I'm hung. And I, I am, I anally prepare. <laughs> right, right. So they're not. Yeah, you know, they cannot. Yeah, you know, they 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 can beat me, but I'm going to work as hard as them. And I, I never felt, I never felt age in coaching right. ever, right? Ever. Yeah, and uh, and. The other thing is, by being with these guys, you stay young. Right. You know, you got to be able to relate to them. But uh, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that you know we've, in five different decades, we we made the final four, and and uh, I'm proud of that. Being, and we've come to work every day. So, Chris Sims, 
who was on Velichik's staff as the equivalent of a grad assistant one year. Um, he had a great story. He said that it was May, a weekend in May after the draft, you know, when he was with them. And he said Belichick was exactly the same on that weekend in May. And Sims commented to him about it. He said, Coach, you're, this is exactly the same as you were last October when we had that big game against the Ravens. You're exactly the same. He, and he said, Bill said to him, he goes, listen, you know, you need to prepare like it's as important as the game. You know, right, right, what we're right. doing today is as important as when when we have a playoff game. It just is. Yeah. And if you always feel that way, if you're going to prepare very, very well, then, you know, that's why I'm never really nervous or tight or anything before a game. I've done everything I could. What what do you want me to do? Bite my fingernails? And and Sim said that was the key. Yeah, he trusts his work, and he works every day. And when people hear work, they they your work. He's doing what he loves to do. Yeah, and he's not. He doesn't get out of character. I I'm here. I'm I'm working. I'm prepared. You know, I never get out of character. Uh, I never get out of character, and. No, I, I love that about him. Yeah. Uh, two other things I wondered. So uh, how how well do you know Bill, if at all? What's been your uh, – what has been your sort of exchanges with him over the years? Yeah, he's been on my radio show a few times, and yeah. we've corresponded. And, uh, and then, you know, his – he has some military background with his dad coaching yeah. at the Naval Academy. So there was – I think a like a connection, you know, where you, you, he knew from me going to West Point. Uh, you know, again, not, I'm not saying we're close friends, but uh, you know, I, I, you know, we've talked on the phone a few times, and you know, I, I, it, it'd be easy for the two of us to have a great conversation. Yeah, and uh, and uh, there'd be no bullshit. You yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> If I asked you what impresses you the most about Belichick, what do you think it is? Well, it's the the high level of cons- consistency. I mean, you can be consistent at different levels. When you're consistent at his level, then that's special. I mean, there that doesn't happen. Yeah, that hardly ever happens. Like he hardly ever happens. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Yeah, and he hardly ever happens. But thank goodness he's happened. Yeah, <laughs> it, you're not surprised that here he is turning seventy next week, and he's going to keep going. No. Uh, yeah. You know, and my 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 thing is, you know, whatever. Look, when you do this, you don't love everything. Yeah. You love the overall thing. And the reason you stop is when you're not going to do the things that you necessarily don't like that much, but have to be done. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and again, my feeling is he's he's on top of his game. My thanks to Mike Krzyzewski for his time and his wisdom, and also to Paul Burmeister, uh, my friend and partner at NBC, uh, for the work he does this week and every week with the podcast. We'll be back next week with another one. Next week, we will be one week away from what has become maybe the biggest non game event on the sports calendar every year in the United States. We'll be one week away from the NFL draft. Come back next week. I promise I'm going to have some good rumors and some things that might happen and that I'm hearing 
and we'll try to uh, spice up your pre-draft listening a little bit. And then the following week, um, we will uh, discuss my mock draft. Paul and I will uh, talk for way too long about things <laughs> that may or may not happen. But anyway, thanks a lot for listening this week. And we look forward to hearing from you during the course of the week. Comments on the pod, anything you'd like to hear, guests you might want to hear. Feel free to send them my way at peterkingfmia at gmail.com. Thanks a lot for listening. Have a great week, everybody. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today.